right, so we're back. This is According to Cows. This is episode 167, and we're picking up with episode 2 of the review of 444. Um, and by a review, I should almost call it a recap as opposed to a review. So, on we go. Now, this is the first edition of the book, and I went through the first couple chapters in my first episode. Chapter 1, you know, what do we do about the communist coup in America? Chapter 2, the foundation. God's law and the Mosaic law, right? The importance of the moral slash Mosaic law and the U.S. and state constitutions being congruent with Mosaic law. Chapter 3, we're going to jump in on that, okay? So, uh, in the book, that's actually page 48, and love God, love your neighbor as yourself, and this is going to be applied towards government and politics. Now, again, when I do the review, or um, kind of the summary, if you will, of the book, I'm doing this to give you an idea of what's in here. I'm doing this to kind of whet your appetite. So I'm going to go through chapters 3, 4, and 5. When I'm done, I'm going to tie that into some local happenings uh, and uh, wrap it up. Um, see you somewhere between the 15 and 20 minute mark tonight. <clears throat> so here we go. The outline number one, which I already laid down the greatest commandment. So the question is, did God really establish 613 laws? But Matthew 22, 36 through 40 said, Jesus' response to the greatest commandment in the law, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, and all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, that you should love your neighbor as yourself. On those two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. Okay, so the Next question that should follow is, how do we do that? How does that happen? She kind of touches base on the idea of uh, concepts laid out in the book, The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman, and that was uh, back in 09. Now, I did read that book about a decade ago, and to be honest, I uh, I have a different love language than my wife does, so that creates a little friction from time to time because... I don't speak her love language very well. Um, Guys, if you are listening to me, I might encourage you that you should do better than I do in that regard. All right. So, she gives uh, a number of verses and uh, explanations related to how we love God in the appropriate way. And then transitions that to the second greatest commandment, right? And... um, Again, more scripture. It talks about the different commandments and how we uh, need to do that properly. And then we're going to get to the fourth commandment in the Bible. <clears throat> Observe the Sabbath, right? You should not work on the Sabbath. Now, what's interesting is she's highlighting the idea that the first four of the title is 
based upon the idea that since laws are foundational and only one valid law can only be built on another valid law, if we have to have all of those laws correct or otherwise it won't work. So in other words, if you have a bad piece of the foundation, the house will fail. And you can't have two conflicting statements because they cancel each other out. Now, I should point out that uh, unlike a Seventh-day Adventist, uh, she believes that, and, and this is my interpretation of what I've heard, so I'm not meaning to put words in her mouth, that we are supposed to have Sabbath day. In theory, it should be Saturday. But I think it's less important, and again, this is my interpretation, that it's Saturday then it's a day period, right? So, basically, if you're going to follow the Ten Commandments, you need to follow all ten of them, not just nine. Oh, sorry, uh, that was the cough button, if you will. Uh, so, she does do an entire paragraph over the idea of Ten Commandments versus the nine. And... She Again, she doesn't really quibble with the idea of changing the day that the Sabbath is, just that we need to take a Sabbath. Um, and again, that's, again, my interpretation. She is quite clear that she believes Saturday is supposed to be the Sabbath. But, again, I, um, I think the principle is more that you're supposed to take a Sabbath day. Uh, and again, that's the principle I'm taking away. And if I'm misinterpreting this, uh, someone should tell me or she can call me and tell me, I guess. But I probably won't. In any case. Um, and then she references the idea that uh, even in the end time through Revelation, there is the idea of defiling the, the Sabbath, right? It's interesting. So again... The idea that if you're going to love God properly, you have to follow his commandments. And being that he had ten, you can't just choose to ignore one of them. Um, and then she gives some more scripture and some more explanations of how that... And now we're getting to the meat of it here. How to love your neighbor. I am sorry. My allergies are kicking my butt today. I'll be right back. All right. <clears throat> they tell me that's Mountain Cedar. But I can tell you, I don't really care. It's just making me somewhat miserable. All right, how to love your neighbor. So she starts off with the idea that once we have the basic laws straight, now we can get back to where we'd start looking at the best way to love your neighbor as yourself in a manner that we are walking in our faith and being doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. So again, uh, she's looking for a modern application, if you will, to the political system and how to walk your faith within the system. And she gives some more explanations, some more verses. And I'm going to just kind of go to the end here because I think there was a pretty much, there's two good paragraphs in here I want to highlight. <clears throat> so she said, um, of course, there are many ways we can show love to our neighbor or for our neighbor with much emphasis on showing love to widows, orphans, the stranger, and the foreigner. So much love can be shared through helping any of them with financial contributions that they are in need of, food, water, shelter, 
or even just coming alongside. With them, personal battles are seeing how to sympathize with grieving people and help relieve them of their burdens or be a friend to the prisoner. Defending people in need or people that are under attack is also a way to show them your love. So basically, standing up for people, protecting people that aren't capable of protecting themselves, and putting yourself in the way of that. Think of it as interposition, only not interposition at a governmental level, but on a personal level. Now, uh, let me go here. There is one more uh, little paragraph here I want to touch base on. Okay. She said, how are we going to go about fixing the massive problem is a biblical and a legal process that I'm describing here. And right now, this is the foundation being established that would allow us to fix the entire problem in the biblical and moral way, but it is also lawful and legally backed this way as well. Okay, so now here's where we're transitioning. She's, she's, she wants to bring the, to forward the idea of how do we go ahead and make this happen, right? So I want to put a pause in here and pontificate a bit myself, if I will, because, you know, it is according to Cal's. All this is very good. And as a Christian, all this stuff is applicable to you and applicable to how you look at things. And it helps you to understand where you're supposed to be. This isn't going to be effective with somebody that rejects Christianity. And I, I'm less worried about that than maybe some others are. But what I want to distinguish is if we're leading by example, if we're doing the right things, if we are behaving as Christians ought to behave, people will want to emulate that. They will want to be involved with that. They will want to know what you're doing and why you're doing it. That, I think, is what we've really failed to do, particularly in the American church. So I'm going to jump back off of the uh, soapbox here and transition back into the book here, um, picking up a couple chapters, or not a couple chapters, but a couple paragraphs down from her transition. When an elected official is sent to represent the will of the people. According to the Constitution, that is what gives the elected official the legal right to serve the people in the best and most positive way they can possibly do this. Again, not an exact quote, but just transitioning, if you will. That is an extension of the second great commandment from Jesus to love your neighbor as yourself in the capacity of elected official. They are to become a defender against bullies. They are getting paid to stand and tell all evil that is coming their way the buck stops here. So again, this is the idea of interposition. You're going to see a reoccurring theme, I suspect. In many of the books I read, government is supposed to exist to protect liberty, right? If you go look at the preamble of the Constitution, it basically states what the purpose of government is. And any elected official that doesn't actually know what the purpose of government is, is the problem. Even if they parrot the answer correctly, but they don't do what it is that it states, they're the problem. So again, just 
I wanted to throw that out there. So now this is her, um, I guess, page 70. All too often, I have seen elected officials compromise to evil, to regulation that only serves to hinder people's prosperity or liberties. With the slightest of opposition, these frail, fearful elected officials buckle and collapse to the will of any and all opposition they encounter. So I would suggest to you this is a twofold problem. And again, I, I'm jumping back in here. One, we have weak people that run for office. They put the tickle in your ear as a, as a voter and you trust them, you like them. And a lot of these people are really nice. They're pleasant people. I mean, in my experience in politics, pretty much everybody I've interacted with as an elected official is genuinely nice to the most people that they meet, which is not to say that they're nice to everybody, which is not to say that they're absolutely nice all the time. But as a general rule, when they're in public, they're quite generous and nice and friendly, particularly if you are in their party or on their team. And I'm holding up the quotes, right? So they have a vested interest in keeping you happy. That's not always the case with everybody. I understand, but they're weak in the sense that they're, they're fickle. They don't, they don't stand on anything. The other thing is these guys get in here. These ladies are elected and they go down there and they have no backup. They have nobody protecting their flank. If you will, they feel alone and they buy the lie that they need to compromise. They need to give this stuff over. They need to go along to get along. So that's on us, right? So one, we don't elect strong people. And two, even if we do manage to elect a strong person, if they're there for a bit and we don't continue to have their back and we don't continue to invest in them, they fall. Some would call it corruption. Some would say it's, you know, deep state, whatever you want to call it. What I'm suggesting is it's a twofold problem. One of it is a related to the type of people we send or the type of people that run would probably be even more accurate. And number two is once they're dead, once they are there for us, we don't do our part. We cease to do that. We get lazy. We get complacent. We don't hold them accountable. And that, again, that's a reoccurring theme with my podcast, with uh, previous videos I made. When we send people to office, we ought to hold them accountable. We want them to go do what they said they're going to do. We want them to do what it is that we're sending them there to do. Even if they're not excited about it, we're going to hold them accountable. And when we fail to do that, when we fail to stay on them, that's when they cave. That's when they wobble. That's when they show their weakness. Again, that's on us. Okay, so now we're going to jump to chapter four. She's going to talk about the communist coup in the USA. Okay, um, she's going to spend some time talking about how did we get here? What, you know, what, what's going on? This is all good stuff. Um, she gives some detail. She gives some biblical parallels to other things that have happened. And it's a worthwhile chapter. I am going to gloss over it. Mostly because I want you to buy the book. I want you to invest your time. And I want you to do what you can 
to learn from this. Now, she gives an, uh, an example here of uh, an election she was participant in. So, I'm going to jump in here. Again, this is page 79. Um, there are five candidates running for county commissioner. Her favorite opponent and a man she had deep respect for was an elderly veteran and pastor named Dr. Hook. He was a Baptist pastor that had been in several wars, and they had a friendly, supportive manner between the two of them in their campaign. Um, she, she was invited to join his ministry dealing with people in the county jail. So she went and got involved in that. And she indicates that, you know, we said we both ran solid campaigns and, uh, you know, she was getting involved with his church. And then she transitions from there to was our election rigged? And she said, probably we have electronic voting machines, so it's highly likely some of the votes were manipulated. But we ran as Christians, and we ran how Christians ought to have run, and she became friends with this guy as a uh, result of this. So, again, when you run a campaign, a clean campaign, and when you are honorable, good things come from that. So that, that that's kind of the wrap-up of that chapter. So I'm going to go on to the next chapter, which is chapter 5, right? We're going to go, to, and this may take longer. This may put me over the 20-minute mark, but here we go. The Constitution, Article 4, Section 4. This is chapter 5. This is the next four. She opens with, Christianity is the religion that shaped America and made her what she is today. In fact, historically speaking, it can be irrefutably demonstrated that biblical Christianity in America produced many of the cherished traditions still enjoyed today, including a republican form of government rather than a theocratic form of government. All right. Now she wants to tell you why article 4 section 4 matters why it is the biggest deal that is ignored indeed i must admit i was only in passing aware of this prior to this book the united states shall guarantee to every state in this union a republican form of government and shall protect each of them against invasion and on application of the legislature or of the executive when the legislature cannot be convened against domestic violence. So this section of the Constitution deals with the very problem we're facing today. People that want to subvert and do away with a Republican form of government. People (coughs) that are openly advocating for communism, socialism, fascism, some kind of mm, dictatorship of the elect or whatever you want to call it. She then takes a little bit of time to, you know, explain some of this out. She has some quotes in here from Trevor Loudon, interesting guy, a very interesting documentary he did called The Enemies Within. Again, highly recommend you take the time, watch it, understand what he's talking about, 
come to your own conclusions. I found it quite convincing, quite interesting. But your mileage may vary, and I also want you to invest the time to understand it so that you draw that conclusion and you understand it and you know why you believe what you believe. That's far more important to me than whether or not you agree with me, which is funny because I told my daughter that just the other day. All right. Then on page 88, um, she's quoting a law professor. In every country, the morals of the people, whatever they may be, take their form and spirit from their religion. For example, the marriage of brothers and sisters was permitted among the Egyptians because they had precedents set by their gods. Isis and Osiris. So too the classic nations celebrated the drunken rites of Bacchus. Thus too the Turks became lazy and apt because they were dependent upon fate as taught by the Koran. And in recent times there arose a nation whose philosophers discovered there was no god and no religion. That would be France and they reference Voltaire, Rousseau, Diderot and Helveticus. The nation that was thrown into dismal chaos in the case when there are no law and no morals. In the United States, Christianity is the original spontaneous and natural or national religion, shall I say. Now, I want to jump on my own soapbox here for a moment. When people say we were a Christian nation, the idea is the majority of the people the vast majority of the people that were present at the time of the founding of the country subscribed to Christianity in one form or another. And even those that didn't were at least very much aware of it. And if not in sympathy with it, they were in syncope with it, which is to say that while they maybe didn't resurrect or they didn't, I'm sorry, they didn't revere, they didn't worship the triune God of the Bible. They at least acknowledged it, they knew what it was, they found it to be an overly positive outcome, right? In other words, they got to take part in the benefits brought about by the Christian West. Now, you can choose to ignore that, you can choose to get specific, you can choose to reject certain things, you can choose to split hairs and make demands that, you know, don't stay within the continuity of the history as we understand it. But if you have Article 4, Section 4, that specifically states that a form of government must be preserved and the states or the federal government are not participating in making sure that happens, then you have to deal with the concept of how do we punish them. Now, on page 91, she talks about the problem is that people think they're above the law and they can do whatever they please. She says nobody's above the law, not judges, not the reps, not the governors, not even the president. And she's 100% correct. I would just quibble on the idea that this is the Constitution or a constitutional law, not just any law. And The Constitution came from we the people. And at a certain point, we the people are going to have to assert our authority again. 
if we don't find good leaders, good lesser magistrates, if you will, if we can't find people willing to interpose their level of government against the more evil level of government, if we cannot find a lesser magistrate that's willing to not only interposition but nullify bad law, to recognize there's no authority for that, to recognize they're outside of the government, that does not leave us with a whole lot of options. That does not leave us with a peaceful outcome, in my opinion. So, I'm going to jump over to page 91. The author states, in fact, the three biggest differences between a Republican form of government, now remember, we're talking Republican as a form of government, not a party, and a communist form of government are that communism does not want God, individual rights, and private property rights. There is nothing within a republic necessarily that mandates those must exist. It's just the way it is. Now, she does take the moment to discuss why democracy is indeed different than a republic. And I think that's important. But I think sometimes that's a difference without a distinction. I don't want to spend a lot of time arguing with somebody about the difference between a republic and a democracy. And... Another podcast I spent a lot of time listening to in the past, and and I still enjoy it. it. The guy basically said, look, who cares? We know what we mean when we're saying the word. Now, words mean things, yes, but if Joe Schmo thinks that we're a democracy because he gets to go vote, go with that. Don't, don't. There can be different forms of a republic. There can be different forms of the representatives in a republic those representatives can be put in that position differently in a different republic so i mean if you want to say a constitutionally restrained restrained democratically elected republic okay fine i mean you you can throw a bunch of words at it but the simple shortcut should be a republic the vast majority of people that refer to it as a democracy just don't know the difference. And they, quite frankly, don't care. But we do want to make sure that they understand that a pure democracy is mob rule. That's something that uh, we could all keep in mind. Okay, so she gives some examples. She does uh, give a few more pages of commentary and how all this works. And again, very good. Well thought out. So this is the fourth four, which is Article 4, Section 4. I'm sorry, the the second of the fours, right? So we've got the fourth commandment, the Article 4, Section 4. And I want to just put this last sentence in the play here. I'm sorry, we'll just go the last paragraph. I thought low notes above clearly answered many of the questions that are usually associated with a discussion about the definition of a Republican form of government. It's simple to understand the Republican form of government chosen by founding fathers was the best choice and fully guards Americans in a way that no other country can. All the more reason to actually put Article 4, Section 4 into vigorous play right now and purge the nation of every scourge that is not a Republican form of government. Pretty bold. All right, 
with that, I am going to wrap up the uh, review. We pick up on chapter six when we get to the next uh, episode. For those of you in McKinney, Texas, I want to encourage you go out and vote. My friend Vicente is on the special election uh, as a candidate, and I interviewed him previously. I am going to probably share that interview again tomorrow. I know early voting has started already. I am convinced that he is a great candidate, and I will continue to support him. Um, I don't know the other man running. I don't know him personally. I have seen people post that he is a good conservative. Now, I will be honest, uh, the definition of conservative in a lot of people's minds is different than mine. I will also be honest in that the people that were defending his conservatism lack some credibility with me at this point. Also keeping in mind, I struggle with the very idea of conservative at times. And I don't necessarily classify myself as such. I prefer the term constitutionalist. However, I believe in this race, it's for finishing on a term of city council member that uh, decided to go run for something else. And it would be far easier to win re-election as an incumbent than to run in an, another open race. Win, lose, or draw, I, you know, I think the city of Minikini will be okay. But I am always concerned when the city leadership anoints the next candidate and continues to line the city council with people that will carry the water of both the uh, lack of, we're just going to keep this straight up, the city fathers and the mayor. I don't know why they're so afraid of somebody that might question the official narrative. I'm not sure why they fear somebody that has common sense. I'm not sure why they fear somebody that doesn't follow in lockstep. They would still have a 6-1 vote on pretty much every vote because, let's be honest, everybody follows the mayor. And where our Pied Piper leads us? Nobody knows except for Independent Bank. But going forward, it's going to be okay. We'll find a way through it. Vicente, I wish you the best of luck. I will be again, like I said, tomorrow. I will have his uh, previous interview posted. Um, I look forward to what the uh, future brings. And there is no reason to panic. There is no reason to Lose sleep over it, right? As I said, when uh, the last election cycle was over and a good number of people were quite upset because of the steal that occurred, hey, Christ is still on his throne. Jesus is Lord. And uh, tomorrow we're going to wake up and go right back to work because that's what we do. We're the people that make this country work. We are the people that allow for our country to be what it is today. Imperfect though it may be, and shortcomings that are often brought to fore, we are still the last best place there is to be. And Texas is special. And as a Texian, 
I want what's best. And I'm looking for that guy that's willing to interpose between the tyrant and the populace. I want the guy that's going to be willing to say, no, you've gone too far. And we will keep looking until we find that person. And with that, let's wrap this up. This was episode two of four of the recap and review of 444 by Renee Holiday. And I will see you on the other side.